All right, good morning. What a friendly group. Some of you stuck out and got some donuts during that break. That's a good use of time, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, today's the first Sunday of the month, which means we have family time after the service. That's our, yeah, that's when we get together and we eat lots of good food. So if you didn't bring any, that's okay. We have more than enough. We'd love for you to stay. Um, what we do is we set this area up with tables, and then we sit around tables family style, and we have some games and things to discuss. We're going to be hearing from our Guatemala medical missions team today, and they're going to show us pictures and stuff, so that'll be fun to hear about during family time. But I hope you stay. Um, last time, I noticed some people like eating off and different places of the building, which kind of defeats the purpose of family time. Like, come and sit together and eat together, and um, let's have fun together. All right, there's a breakthrough service coming up March 17th and 18th at the Bohm Theater. And this is something um, that the pastors in Albion have pulled together to do. I've been meeting and praying. We've been praying every week for this service, but just feeling... Like, we need a breakthrough. The people of Albion, the neighboring towns, we need a breakthrough. And um, so, Prophet Russell, and I'm going to blank on his last name right now in front of you all. Um, he's coming. He's from here originally. And he lives down south now, and he actually has an international ministry that he travels around, and um, they've seen lots of healings happen in their ministry and other things, but they're going to be coming. And um, we're just, I hope you put it on your calendar and you show up, and we're going to be praying for you and for one another that um, people will find freedom through the power of Jesus Christ. So anyways, that's coming up. Please don't miss it. Um, for this morning, I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. It won't be on the screen because some of you know by now, I like you to get used to using your own Bibles. So if you need one, take a, a paperback one that you can find in one of the baskets there. You free, feel free to take that home with you. But Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be. And it's also because it's a new month, we have a new prayer. Through this series, um, every month we've adopted a new prayer from the book of Matthew. Just a simple sentence to pray every single day. And last month it was, Lord, make us clean. And we actually saw quite a few people have some breakthroughs in their lives with us praying that prayer. So that, that was very exciting. Um, this month it's, Lord, please send workers into your harvest. Please send workers into your harvest. That comes from Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Do you believe that? Yes. Yeah, the harvest is plentiful. People are hungry. They're looking for answers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. So every day, I hope you join me in doing this, but just pray that one little sentence. Lord, please send workers into your harvest. And we'll see what God does as we join together in praying that prayer. So you can put that in your phone as a reminder. Um, There's post-it notes in the baskets if you want to write yourself a post-it note and stick it on your mirror. I do, I stick mine on my steering wheel. Um, I don't know, with my cell phones, I get so many reminders, they all start to just 
you, you ignore them after a while. And it's, okay, some of you know what that's like. You just, your phone's constantly dinging at you. So that's why I stick mine on my steering wheel now. Um, and the less important reminders go on my phone. But, um, so that's our prayer. Lord, please send workers into your harvest every day for the month of March, okay? All right. So, Matthew chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 16, but actually this story starts just a few verses before that, in verse 13. And we talked about this story about a month ago, where people are bringing little children to Jesus, and the disciples rebuke them and like, no, send them away. And, And what does Jesus say? What does he do? Yeah, he says, let him come, let him come to me. And he pulls them up on his lap and he prays for them and blesses them. And he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And that is framing this whole next story that is to come. Because he's telling us who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. In other words, who's going to be in heaven? Okay? So, now, we continue, and it says um, that after he blessed them, he went on from there, and then verse 16 says this, just then, so Jesus is like just leaving the children, just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of your word and the truth that is in it. And I pray now you'll just help us understand this truth. Um, And let it sink deep into our hearts and our minds. And give us the courage to act upon it, Lord. And have faith in what your word tells us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this um, rich man, he approaches Jesus, unlike the blind man, men that we, um, I think it was two weeks ago, we talked about. They addressed Jesus as the Son of Man. They knew he was the Messiah, God's Savior, right? This guy doesn't do that. He addresses Jesus as how? 
Teacher. Yeah. Okay. He says teacher. Mark's version says good teacher, that he calls Jesus good teacher. So he's not recognizing Jesus as a savior, as a Messiah, but as a good teacher. He, he, he's seen the miracles probably. He's heard Jesus teach. And he's like, man, this is a, this, this is a holy man. This is a good man. And he clearly, he must be going to heaven if he can do these miracles. So I'm going to go ask him what I need to do to get to heaven, to have eternal life. And that's kind of um, one of the great questions of life, isn't it? Like, how good do I have to be to get to heaven? Now, maybe you've not wrestled with this one, but a lot of people do, especially people who have faced a lot of death. You know, like the, the saying, um, how does it go, there's no atheists in foxholes? Um, foxholes are trenches that soldiers hide in on the, when they're on the front lines. So, um, but yeah, like people who are familiar with death, they wrestle with this question. How do you know if you get in? It's, it's like the scale. Let me pull this up. So over here, if you have God's kingdom, which consists not just of heaven, it's actually a new heaven and a new earth. Um, so we're not just living in clouds, okay? He's actually going to remake heaven and earth, and we get to live in both, and they'll be connected, and God will be there. And the promise is that it will be good, and there will be no more pain and no more suffering, right? Okay. And then over here, if you have hell, and this is the place that is the absence of all of God's goodness. Like, how do you know how good you have to be? You know, like, over here we usually put people like Hitler, right? Like, that doesn't even look like an R. There we go. Um, most, pretty much everyone agrees that he deserves to go here, right? And in fact, it, there would be something very unjust about the universe if he didn't. Okay, and who would we put over on this side? Moses, um, Mother Teresa, I'm just going to put empty, okay? And then Billy Graham, I, I shouldn't like, I'm not trying to like put one over the other here. Okay, Billy Graham, yeah, I'll just do G because I'm running out of room. There we go. This is kind of how we think about it. And then we try to figure out, well, where are we on this scale? And also, where's the tipping point? Is the tipping point like down here and everybody from here up is, you know, good? Or is the tipping point here? You know, like where, where is it? And this guy who's talking to Jesus, he assumes he's pretty close. Because he says, what good thing must I do? Like he assumes like, I, I, there's probably like one more good big deed I have to do that will get me on this side. And, and I think most of us tend to kind of think that way. You know, we all can point to someone who is worse than we are. You know, well, at least I'm not like that person over there. So I think I'm on the good side, you know. But how do you know for sure? 
And faith, yeah. Don't preach my sermon for me, okay? <laughs> All right. Um, but he wants to know. And um, Jesus has a really interesting response. Verse 17. Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? In other words, why are you asking this question? There's only one who is good. Who's that? God. If you want to enter life, keep the commands. What Jesus is saying is that tipping point is here. You have to obey all the commands to be good enough to enter heaven. And who has done that? Nobody. Only one. Only God. That's why only God is good. And so that's why Jesus says, why are you asking me about this? Why are you asking about what's good? There's only one who's good enough to get to heaven, and that's God. He's the only one who's kept all the commands. In Romans 3.23, it says this, For all have sinned, all of us, Amen. and we fall short of the glory of God. Right. We're all on this side. And so that's why Jesus is saying, look, what, don't, don't ask about this. This isn't going to help you. Playing the game of how good is good enough is not going to help you because we all have sinned. We've already all lost that game. And this begs two questions. First, you know, is there some other way to get to heaven? But one of the questions that I have thought about is like, why is this the standard? Have you ever thought about that? Like, that's a really high bar. Why did God set it that high? That you have to obey all the commandments all the time. And like one little sin and you're out. Why is that the standard? <laughs> the promise of heaven is that there will be no more pain, right? So God can't let anyone in who would cause pain to another. Right? Have you ever thought about that? I want to read to you from The Great Divorce. It's C.S. Lewis's book where he imagines people getting to the edge of heaven, the gates of heaven, and then finding some reason not to go in. And one way or another, they disqualify themselves or they choose not to go in. And um, I'm going to read from chapter 10. This Each chapter, it's like a different person. This person, um, she is met at the gates of heaven by her late mother-in-law, who is in heaven and comes to usher and welcome her in. And she's happy to see her mother-in-law, but she does not want to see her late husband. All right? So... It starts, this is the conversation we overheard. That is quite, quite out of the question, said the female ghost to one of the bright women. 
I should not dream of staying if I'm expected to meet Robert. I'm ready to forgive him, of course. But anything is quite impossible. Anything more than that is quite impossible. How he comes to be here, like, I don't know, that's your affair. But if you've forgiven him, said the other, then surely, oh, well, I forgive him as a Christian, (laughs) said the ghost. But there are some things one can never forget. But I, I don't understand, began the other. Exactly, said the ghost with a little laugh. You never did. You always thought Robert could do no wrong. I know. Oh, no, please, please don't interrupt me for just one moment. You haven't the faintest conception of what I went through with your dear Robert. The ingratitude. It was I who made a man of him, sacrificed my whole life for him. And what was my reward? (laughs) He despised me. No, no, listen. He was pottering along on 30000 a year before I met him. And mark my words, Hilda, he would have been in that position until the day of his death if that hadn't been for me. It was I who had to drive him every step of the way. He had in a spark of ambition. It was trying to lift a sack of coal. All he wanted to do was try to write the silly little book. Well, I cured him of that. I had to positively nag him to take on the extra work in the other department. Though it was really the beginning of everything for him. The laziness of man. He said, if you please, he couldn't work more than 13 hours a day. It goes on. She talks about how she drove him to work hard so they could afford a bigger house. So then she could entertain. And his friends weren't comfortable with her parties. And so she chewed chewed them away because they were good for nothing. And she would invite people who could be useful friends to help him advance in his career. And she, she, you know, if it hadn't been for her, he would have been nothing. And at the end of the chapter, she's like, you know, I suppose I can go in and see him. But I know he's being incredibly lazy in heaven. So if I can have charge of him and help him make something of himself up here, then I'll go in. She's not allowed in. You see, God can't allow anyone into heaven who is going to manipulate or use or even say a single hurtful word to somebody else. And we've all done that. Amen. We have all done that. But let's get back to our main story, okay? This guy who is talking to Jesus is not getting the memo that um, this scale, this game of how good is good enough is not going to help him. Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commands. Which ones? And I can just see Jesus being like, really? Okay. Which ones? Um, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy says, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And I can just see Jesus being like, really? I don't want to play this game. You want to play this game? Did you hear the last one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Really? 
And so Jesus decides to continue the game so he can break through the guy's denial. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. That right there is the denial buster, right? Go sell your possessions and give to the poor. None of us have done that. This guy is rich. He's living in luxury. Most of the people around him probably can't afford food because that's how life was back to, life was like back then. But even now today, how much do we really love our neighbors as ourselves? No. We don't. None of us have sold our possessions and given everything away. But notice Jesus doesn't say that's how you get to heaven. Does he? He says you'll have reward in heaven, but he doesn't say that's how you get to heaven. He's just saying that to help break through the guy's denial, to help break through our denial that we really are unselfish people who love our neighbor as ourselves. No. Jesus wants us to play a different game than the how good is good enough game. He wants us to play follow the leader. That's how you get to heaven. He says, and come, follow me. In John, he says this. He's talking to someone else. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This scale will never get you to heaven. But following Jesus will. That's the way. In John 3, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe already stands condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He didn't even want to talk about this scale. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? I don't want to play this game with you. I don't want to talk to you about all the different ways that you don't measure up. That's not what I've come to do. What I've come to do is save you from this scale. That's what he has come to do. He came and he died for us to pay the price of our sins and then show us the way to heaven. Amen. That's what he came for. And so there's a new scale and the scale is simply this. It's, it's believe and follow. That's it. It's believing that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the son of God who died for you. Believing that he is that good. And trusting him enough to follow him. Do you remember how this story started? With Jesus holding children. And saying, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Children are very good at believing what you tell them, right? And they're very good at following 
I remember when my kids were little, I couldn't even get a moment in the bathroom by myself. (laughs) They follow you everywhere and they trust you. And that is what Jesus says. That is how you get here. You just have to believe and follow. The tragedy of the story is that it's so easy to get to heaven. Because it's a free gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You just have to believe Jesus is who he says he is. And trust him enough to follow. Yet in verse 22 it says this. When the young man heard this, he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. The more we have, the more choices we have. Have you ever noticed that? Poor people don't have many choices. You know, they don't debate what to eat for dinner or what color to paint their walls. No. Choices are for rich people. And by the world's standard and by history's standard, we are all very rich. We really are. And the problem with choices is that the more choices you make, the more choices you have, the more you get used to the illusion that you control your own life. You see, when you're a slave, it's easy to turn to Jesus (laughs) because you know you need a savior. But when you're wealthy and you can make your own choices and you think you can control your own destiny, it is much Harder to turn control of your life over to Jesus. And that's why Jesus says in the next verse, after the rich man walked away, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich To enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. He loves you, He died for you, He paid that sin. You just have to believe and follow. It's actually easier than we think it is. So the question is, what's keeping you from following wholeheartedly? Because remember, it can't be a partial following. We have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strengths, right? With all of us. And when we do that, it leads us to loving our neighbors as ourselves. And, and that's, that's how we have to be to get into heaven. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Like, you get to the gates of heaven, and you're so glad to be there, and you're like, Hey, God, yes, I love you, I'll obey you. You know, if I have this, like, one little selfish desire I like to gratify every once in a while. So everything but that, God, you know, I'm in. What would heaven be like? If people did that, <laughs> it would be like earth. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't be a pain where there, or a place where there's no more pain and suffering, right? 
Because every little bit of selfishness we hang on to will hurt someone else. So it has to be a wholehearted following. It has to be us completely surrendering to the God of love. And some of you, I know, you're probably thinking, I've tried that. I've had those moments where I'm like, God, I'm all in. I'm yours. You know, I will follow you. And then I take back control somewhere along the line, right? Yeah. Me too. Me too. But every so often, I have another one of those moments. And I pray prayers like that. And I pray prayers like, God, let me desire what you desire. And he, he does. He begins to change those things in me little by little. And I love his gentleness because he never convicts me of everything wrong about me at once. Right? It's only ever like one thing at a time. And I usually don't like it and I wrestle with him and, you know, we go through this whole thing. But eventually, I give it completely to him and it's gone. And afterwards, there's just this peace. And who knows how long it will be before he shows me something else. But I know this, I have walked with God long enough that um, I know he's... First of all, far more merciful with me than I am with myself. He doesn't bury me under the laundry list. I bury myself under the laundry list. Even, I mean, look at what he did with this rich young man. He didn't want to play this game. He's like, why are you asking me about that? You really? Okay. You know? And so he lists a few things only to break through the guy's denial. What he's really saying is just come follow me. Just follow me. And I'm convinced that this life is just a journey of following Jesus until we get to heaven where we are the type of people who are ready to fully surrender. Because in the journey, we've learned to trust Him. And I tell you what, guys, I'm there. I am there. I am not perfect. Not that. But I have... I have walked this journey long enough to know that his will is better than mine. That everything he has asked me to do, no matter how hard it seems or I don't even understand it at first, every time it works out for to make me a better person. Like if you ask me what has following Jesus done in your 45 years of life, I can tell you, if I can look back every five years, and I like myself better than I used to. I just like the person I'm becoming. And I also like other people more too. I do. Everything he has asked me to do has been good. And so I'm I'm not perfect. I still go my own way sometimes, but I am ready for that moment 
When I get to heaven's gates and I say, you know, God, not my will, not mine, just take it and yours be done because I know yours is good. I know your will is better than mine and I am ready to live in a place that is not ruled by my will or by the broken will of other humans, but is ruled by the will of the God of love. And that really is a choice that we all have to make. Do we want to live in a place that is ruled by our wills and the wills of other broken people or do we want to live in a place ruled by the God of love? I know that whatever he has for us is always immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Peter wondered that. After Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, Peter answered him and said, well, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So they get to lead their own people. That's pretty cool. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus isn't saying that you have to leave your homes and your family to follow him. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that whatever you will have to leave, he will reward you with something a hundred times better. That's what he's saying. Some of us do have to leave families because our families are hurtful. Most of us never have to make that choice. But whatever it is that following Jesus will require us to leave behind, it is something that it is good for us to leave behind. And he promises that we will be given something much greater. So the question just to leave you with is are you ready to fully follow Jesus? Some of you probably have made that decision before. And it may just be time to reevaluate where you are with that. I know I go through times when I'm like all in and then I go through times where I get distracted. And then I go through times where I get hurt and I'm just not so sure I have the courage to keep this journey up. Where are you in your journey? You need courage? You need to turn your eyes away from some things that have been distracting you? Maybe God has been speaking to you about one little thing and you haven't wanted to hear it? Some of you maybe have never made this decision to follow Jesus. 
It's worth it. It is so worth it. Because he is the only one who is good. So he's the only one worth following. And choosing to follow him instead of our own never-ending path of futile options. Of things we don't want to give up, up, but honestly don't do us any good. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as I pray, I'm, I'm just going to pray a couple different prayers, and maybe one of them will resonate with your heart. And you can pray along with me, all right, if it does. Jesus, I thank you that you did not come to condemn us. God, I thank you that you did not send your son to condemn us, to play the how good is good enough game with us. You did not come to point out all the ways that we fail. Thank you for that, God. And I thank you that you made another way. Because you love us and want to be with us. That's one thing I see all through your word is how you just want to be with us. And God, I pray that you'll grow in us the desire to be with you as much as you want to be with us. Lord, we get so distracted by what we see. I pray right now that you'll just turn our eyes to you and help us hear from you. God, I pray you speak to us and show us where we've gotten off track. Lord, we confess those things to you right now. If there's something that God is bringing to your mind, just name it before him. Just confess it to him, that it's been holding you back. Or it's taking you down a wayward path. Just confess it to him. Lord, we confess these things to you we know that they are less than your best. They are less than your goodness for us. And so we pray, God, that you turn us from them. Turn our hearts, turn our minds, turn our focus, turn our desire from them, God, and turn us to you. If you've never trusted in Jesus and committed to following him, you just can pray along with me now. 
Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe that you came not to condemn me, but to save me. Thank you for dying for my sins and paying that penalty so I can have a clean slate. Jesus, I believe you are good and I want to follow you. Help me now turn from my own way to follow you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, um, or maybe you prayed some other prayer, or you want some prayer, I'm going to be back there at the cross, okay? You can just come meet me at the cross, and I will pray with you. Um, If you decided to follow Jesus for the first time, I've got a gift for you I'd love to give you. Um, Maybe you have questions about it, you're not quite sure. I'll talk with you. Maybe you just want some prayer because, um, you know, you've got some tough decisions to make. I'll be happy to meet you at the cross. The worship team is going to lead us. You can sing along. You can sit and reflect and pray. You can come bring prayers and put them in the prayer bowls. If you decided to give up something, you know, to turn away, I encourage you to write that down and come bring it before the Lord. Any folded prayers remain unread. Unfolded ones, I will pray with you later this week. You can put your name on it or you can do that anonymously, all right? Let us respond to God in worship now.